Welcome into On Texas Football. It's the Longhorn live stream Tuesday night. Uh, I'm Bobby Burton. I've got Jerry Hamilton of Inside Texas and On Three alongside me. Uh, Jerry Longhorns pick up commitment number 25 on the recruiting campaign. Warren Roberson out of Red Oak. Uh, you saw him uh, earlier this year more than once. Uh, what were your thoughts of Roberson uh, and uh, his abilities as a player? Yeah, yeah, I think the main thing with him is he's a physical, aggressive safety with wide receiver ball skills. I mean, I, anybody that saw some of the videos I posted on Inside Texas today before his commitment, after his commitment, uh, Scott Schrader of our USC site took some good video of him in seven on seven. You could see the ball skills. He's an arms extended guy, he plucks the ball out of the air. But then when he sees the ball, he's an aggressive football player. He plays faster than any time. He would put up in a combine or probably in on the track just because he's such an aggressive uh, physical football player. He just reacts in a manner that's physical. Uh, so he sticks his foot in the ground with purpose. And I think that's what Texas is getting. Uh, and I know we talked about this uh, last Friday, I believe, talking about if he ended up at Texas. You know, Jalen Catalan coming in, um, you know, Thompson coming back at safety – be able to move some of those parts around that doesn't that puts Texas in a, as a luxury position where they don't have to force Derek Williams or Warren Roperson on the field for major snaps or playing time. They can develop those guys a little bit, and that's when the program's getting to where you want it to be. We're going to hear a little bit from uh, Warren Roberson in this program uh, tonight. We're also going to be taking your questions, We're going to talk a little bit about the Texas basketball game last night against Kansas, as well as other recruiting news and notes. Jerry is actually out on the road today. Lucky he's not in a car today. Uh, but first, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, uh, their Tuesday night sponsor, and that is Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, Texas. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. Uh, Jerry, let's listen in a little bit here, have our folks listen in a little bit uh, from Warren Roberson earlier today talking to Justin Wells of Inside Texas. When was your official visit to UT? Um, I think, what, oh no, I forgot the dates. I think it was the 27th of January. Okay. What was it? What was the big thing that you that, that made you pick Texas? The biggest thing? Um, God. You know, he just he just led me in the right direction. I just had him for guidance, and, and he did that. Which coaches do you connect with the best in uh, Austin? In Austin, Coach Gideon. You know, Coach Gideon, Coach Joseph. I most definitely, and Coach Clark, most definitely. You got offered, you know, kind of earlier last later last year, yes, and there was kind of a, a a gap there. What closed that gap? Uh, what closed the gap? I would say probably this weekend. You know, we got to click a lot, and I actually got to see like who they was for real. We got to like run and stuff like that. And uh, God just led me in the direction. Did you go back to UT this past weekend? Uh, no, I just went on the 27. Okay. Yeah. All right. What do you feel like you're gonna add to their team, their secondary? Oh, uh, my dog. I feel like I'm gonna add a hungry dog that just starving. He's ready to eat. <laughs> Ready to eat. Uh, I think that's a good one. Uh, we're going to get the folks' questions and, and whatnot on Warren Roberson, the new commitment for the University of Texas out of uh, Red Oak. Hey, Jerry, um, question for you uh, on this. 
the the basketball game last night. The Longhorns lost in a hey they they it was a clear defeat. I mean, Texas put up a good fight in Lawrence, uh, but the Jayhawks got the better of them, even though their top scorer really didn't score much. What do you make of that basketball game last night? You know, I, when Texas started that four game stretch, I just I said on the board, I said I take two and two right now and walk away, and that was at Tennessee, Baylor, at K State, and at Kansas. That's a brutal four game stretch. So I think Texas did well two and two on that stretch. They won two road uh, they won a road game at Kansas State against a top ten ranked team, and they beat Baylor at home. Uh, but you know, last night I think Texas is going to be a little up and down defensively, but they also play in a great league i mean you can defend well and some team these teams are going to make plays because they have really good players kansas was a desperate team last night by the way i mean that's people have to i think really have to look at all this stuff kansas had a three-game losing streak for the first time i believe ever under bill self um they got blown out at iowa state saturday scored 53 points so you know bill self was all up in their stuff (laughs) <laughs> leading up into this game uh, last night. Look, Kansas has good players. Texas has good players. I mean, it, I, I'm not dancing around it, but I, I think there was when Texas beat Kansas State, there was suddenly a, oh, well, Texas can beat anybody. Well, that's there's no elite team in college basketball this year. Not Purdue, ranked number one. Not Houston, ranked two or three. Not Alabama, who got blown out of OU. Um, there's no elite teams this year. There's a lot of parity in college basketball. And Texas is in a group of about 15 teams who are really good. Kansas is one of those teams, Kansas State, Tennessee, uh, Baylor. They're all in this group of really good teams. Uh, and there's going to be inconsistencies with those teams unless you play in a weak league. And the Big 12 is not a weak league. So I think Texas got what they wanted out of the four-game stretch. They're 2-2 two and two in that stretch. They're tied or lead the Big 12 technically. Uh, they're in position to win 12 Big 12 games. I mean, th- that's the reality of – what the Kansas State win did if Texas holds uh, serve at home and maybe wins up in Lubbock. Uh, but, you know, look, it's they're not going to be as great defensively without Chris Beard. That was his calling card. That is what made him who he is as a head coach and his next stop that will make him what he is. Uh, Texas wants to play a little faster. They're going to be a little different team uh, under Rodney tearing these guys the rest of the way. And so that's going to – they're not going to be as good defensively. And they gave up, you know – they got driven on a little bit too much last night, right? They didn't maybe close out um, the way Texas ideally wants to. A little slow in some in some rotation situations, but you, sometimes you got to give credit to Kansas too. I mean, and the teams you play. I'm not worried about Texas. I think they are what they are. They're a team that's going to be fighting on that two three seed line uh, the rest of the season, barring a collapse. And uh, you just hope you get a good draw in the tournament and see where things end up. Because here's the reality. Texas, to get to where they want to be, Tyrese Hunter's got to play a little better. I think he would acknowledge that. Texas staff would acknowledge that. They need more out of Tyrese Hunter. Uh, But their guards are final four good. Their final four level guards, they have been before the season. That was the talk in Austin. They've proven that this year. But they do have to have Tyrese Hunter get it going a little bit more um, to really maximize this team come March. It, it seemed to me that uh, Texas went in a little too much spurts on offense last night and too many turnovers. Uh, what, is, what do you make of what has become habit, really? They get off to a fairly mediocre start in the first half, even though they're, they have some intensity to them. They don't get 
drug in the first half. You know what I mean? But they do yeah. get down by 8, 10, 12 points or whatever. And then all of a sudden, in the second half, they come out with a newfound intensity. I mean, what as, as a bat, I know you you played basketball. And what, what do you see as, as the issue there, uh, Jerry? Is it just some teams just take on that mantra kind of or that kind of idea? What, what, what is it? I think what when you start when you get away with that and win games, that's not a good thing necessarily, right? But I also think it's a very experienced team. You know, it's an experienced team that understands it's four minutes, ten four minute games, as Chris Beard and that staff called it. Um, they play ten four minute games, and they don't really panic. There's no panic, and and since there's no real panic, I think sometimes these they don't come. Maybe they don't come out in that first four minutes and treat it like the last four minutes of, of a game or of, as a, of a half. But I think that can happen with very experienced teams. And I had a lot of people say, well, let's change the starting lineup. But no, that's not what's going to happen. Um, Texas is really good off the bench. They want to be really good off the bench, the way this team was constructed, the way this roster was constructed. Bottom line is, <clears throat> if when Timmy Allen and, and uh, Mitchell, Dylan Mitchell are on the court together, well, Dylan Mitchell's got to give up any chance to be an offensive player in that lineup with Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen. I mean, those are ball-dominant players, right? Tyrus Hunter, may, the part of his struggles, maybe not as ball-dominant as he has been. Uh, but so Dylan Mitchell's given up his offense in that lineup. Uh, so when Texas goes three guards, they look a little different. But at the same time, look, it's working for Texas. I, I, I don't think you make switches. Uh, I don't think you change the lineup right now. I think you keep going with what you're doing um, and then come March. Look, I mean, I, I think the blueprint for this team has been out there the whole time, or at least for the people that followed it and really maybe talk to those guys in the summer, watch a couple of workouts. I mean, this is a team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no perfect team in college basketball. So everybody's like, well, we need a big man. We need this. We need that. Well, everybody needs something in college basketball right now. There's no perfect teams. Um, so Texas has to shoot the three well. They have to get to the free throw line enough to where it can be a strength for them. Um, and then they can't commit the unforced turnovers. But the one thing, Texas, where they struggle offensively is if the ball stops. That That's when they struggle. And, look, Marcus Carr is having a great year. The Illinois game was the first time I'd seen that all season where he kind of pounded the basketball and tried to close out a game. Texas, that's not this team. That's not going to work with this team. They can't pound the basketball. They have to stay moving. Uh, there's There's been two Texas guards that could really do that. There's DJ Augustine and TJ Ford. Neither one are walking through that door. So you have to be movement. Ball movement, player movement is so key. If they keep the ball crisp, then they're tough to guard because they could attack from the wings off the bounce, which they couldn't do last year. And then that allows Marcus Carr to maximize his opportunities. And I think, I think is what one thing that would really, I would really like to see with Texas is Tyrese Hunter attack more from the wings. But he's got to develop a floater. He's got to get something going to the basket in that mid-range game that's not just a pull-up 12-footer. Uh, TJ Ford, uh, he sent out a tweet early in the season, NBA season, he said, if you're an undersized guard, you better have a floater. And I really think that's the next step for Tyrese Hunter in his 
maturity. He's good enough to get by people. He's so quick getting by people. He's got to add another element to his game off the bounce, and I think it's got to be a floater. That that makes sense. I I feel like to, if if Hunter can become a bigger part uh, of the team and a better part of it, um, and more uh, contribute more, I think it'll be best uh, for everyone. Jerry, uh, you and I talking here tonight, uh, leading up to I think the State of the Union, the president speaking at eight o'clock. You, usually we we pitch it to a uh, basketball game, uh, but today we're pitching it to the the president of the United States at eight o'clock. How's that uh, for us? <laughs> But we're going to be taking everybody's questions uh, tonight. Any questions you have, uh, we're going to be talking football, basketball, recruiting. Uh, you guys have at it, uh, and we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll also be uh, dropping some news and notes, et cetera, right now. Uh, Jerry, let's start with this one. Any updates on where Deuce Robinson is at in the process? He's expected to sign by April 1st. That's the day the uh, late signing period closes, comes to a conclusion. Um Texas swinging away. They think they have a shot. I think Georgia feels pretty good about it. USC's in the fight. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The communications continue to be strong between Robinson, his family, and Texas. Nothing's slowed down. Nothing's changed in that regard. I'll say the same thing I believe I said last week is what you look for is, is the family going to stay in Phoenix if long term? And I'm not sure that's the case. I, I've heard that go back and forth. So if you start to hear about, okay, family's thinking about moving to place X, I think that's going to give us a pretty good indication uh, where this recruitment will potentially end. Uh, but right now, I think Texas football, baseball, they've done a good job recruiting Deuce. I think Texas feels like they have a legitimate chance at this thing. He's got family in, in Austin, family in the Dallas area. There's uh, the use of the tight end where Georgia and Texas have a clear advantage over USC, at least this year in that regard. Um, and there's a lot of things going for Texas in this group, but we'll see. Georgia's tough to beat right now. Um, obviously, what happens at the Georgia offensive coordinator position? Does something happen before, you know, April? There's a lot of things at play here. Major League Baseball is in play, but I think that's more on the peripheral for now. Not that it's not important, but on the peripheral until more is known. Uh, but Texas is in there. They're fighting, and they think they have a legit shot, and that's where we're at. All right. Uh, Going to go to a different question here. This one coming in. Uh, from Joel McWaters. Uh, with so many DBs committing, are we getting to a point where future DB recruits are going to be worried about playing time? I will say this. There's not actually so many DBs recruiting uh, committing that are underclassmen. I mean, they only took three in this class, and Malik Muhammad, Derek Williams, and, uh, and now Warren Roberson. Two of those are true safeties. So most classes include more than three high school players. Right. To your point, though, and I think what he's getting at is what about the the, uh, the additions that came through the portal? Jerry, your thoughts? Yeah, so that, that's going to come up a lot with Kobe Black out of Waco Collin in 2024. I believe that it's going to be a part of the recruitment on some level. I mean, when you look at it, Ryan Watts is probably the only corner leaving next year. Terrence Brooks obviously can't. Um, Gavin Holmes has two years left, right? I mean, who knows where Austin Jordan's going to play? Malik Muhammad's a freshman. So – it could be a little more difficult recruiting a corner who sees himself as an impact player. A lot of that will play out during the season, uh, but they could start to get into a little bit of a numbers game at corner. Safety, I'm not so sure. I mean, Jaron Thompson uh, and then Jalen Catalan. Obviously, if Catalan has a healthy year, this will be the only year he plays at Texas, no matter the draft grade, just what he's been through physically. 
and then Jaron Thompson's in his final year. Then, but there's not a ton of depth there. And Derek Williams and and Roberson, they'll show up, and I would think in spurts this year. But they're kind of going to be hidden by more experienced players. So it's not like a freshman's going to come in and start at safety at Texas. I do think it's maybe a little more difficult at corner, just because Ryan Watts is the only guy that we're expecting to leave right now. Got it. Um, let me ask you a couple other questions. I, you would think, at least at corner, you're right. Jaron Thompson might most likely gone. Catalan, if he's healthy, probably gone. Jade Barron is a converted corner. Gone. Yeah, I mean, so you you could be talking about a turnover of four or five. Yeah, next year theoretically. I mean, they're they're, they're potentially putting out five. Hey, Jerry, this one's down your way. I want to ask you about a player that that people are asking about that's a 2024 recruit uh, and get this in here. Why is no one talking about Blake Ivy? That's the linebacker, I think, out of Clear Springs. Inside LSU and Texas have offered. all offered. Yeah, he's a, he's a uh, left tackle that'll play guard at the next left level. Tackle. I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah, Kay, uh, good player. Um, I think when you look around <clears throat> the state on the interior, Daniel Cruz is the top guy on the board for Texas. A&M or Oklahoma on the interior. That's just the way it's going to be. I think this, there's really good players in state on the offensive line. I don't think there's the national guys that the 21 class had, 22 class had. I mean, I think Daniel Cruz is that guy. But I think after that, there's going to be a lot of longer recruitments and evaluations go on because the state isn't as loaded at that position as they have been. And there's a lot of national guys. Like if you just look at Texas, look, DeAndre Carter uh, out of Santa Ana, he was in um, for the January 21 junior day. His teammate, Brandon Baker, one of the top tackles in the country. He's going to come in in March. Uh, we don't have the date yet, but I was told today he'll be in in March. Nair Daniels, teammate of um, uh, of uh, Sadir Sadir Catholic. He was in for January 21st, Junior Day, and he's already saying he's going to make an official visit in June. And then you have Daniel Calhoun, who I believe may end up being the top offensive tackle in the country out of Centennial and Atlanta area. He's saying he's coming in in March, and Texas will probably get a, possibly probably get an official visit. So I think Texas is going to play this out a little bit on the offensive line. I think they would always take a commitment from Daniel Cruz. I think if Ori Williams picked up the phone and called and wanted to commit, they'd probably take him. Outside of that, I think Texas is really going to play this slow, see what happens with some of these top national out-of-state kids because they are more talented. not saying they're going to be better in five years, but they are more talented out-of-state versus in-state in this class. Got it. Um, talking with Jerry Hamilton of InsideTexas.com. Uh, we're going to be taking questions this hour. It's kind of a free-for-all. Uh, you guys, we've talked about Warren Roberson's commitment already. Uh, also talked a little bit about the basketball team. Uh, so if you want to get in questions, please get them in now. Uh, we'll put them in the queue. Our, our producer, Matt Hutchison, uh, will put those in the queue uh, for us. Uh, let's go ahead and go, get straight to it. Keep going here uh, from Ken B. How many more transfers do the Horns pick up? Jerry? I'm going to say chances are maybe one after the spring. Um, maybe if a running back need emerges, a downhill bigger back with experience. Maybe it's an edge guy if somebody pops up. But I just don't think the difference makers at D-line and edge are going to pop up after the spring. I don't buy that at all. So as Bobby's been saying, you want to take starters in the portal. The one position I think they would take a non-starter for depth, maybe running back, depending on what Jonathan Brooks, what uh, Cedric Baxter and, and Jaden Blue look like this spring. Yeah, and I, and I feel like 
you know, I'm here in the running back room could be getting, could, could be getting added some people. I mean, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jerry, you know how it is when, when you, here's the good thing about the portal. And one of the reasons why Ken, I think it's hard to answer your question. They haven't gone through spring practice yet either. And they don't know. And so they don't know their needs necessarily as coaches. What happened is what happens if another receiver gets hurt? Right. What happens if there's, you know, a bang up on the defensive front? I mean, you just don't know. And and I think that the spring portal, which is going to be this May uh, time frame, will be used for those late additions and maybe bolstering units that they think they need depth at. I still think they could go for another receiver, uh, Jerry, from a, a depth perspective that is an adult in the room. And I, right. and I mean that with all due respect to, to the young guys coming in, but somebody with, but a like little- you said, that's, that's going to depend on uh, Jonte cook and Deandre Moore this spring and right. Brennan Thompson. Yep. And, and, and how, how good is, uh, is, is Mitchell, AD Mitchell. Uh, how, how much better is yep. Isaiah Naor coming off his injury? Um, and uh, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they could still go after a Gary Bryant, uh, the USC receiver out of the portal, somebody like that. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But I definitely think if they had a chance, they would automatically go on an edge guy, just if if it's the right guy. But to your point, Jerry, those are few and far between. Uh, almost Virtually none is actually the reality of it. That right. that would no improve Texas's program. So let's be clear about that. Question from uh, Ryan Nelson. Uh, and I think this is, uh, Ryan, I'm going to ask you this. Uh, I'm going to pretend like this is, when you say for this class, I'm going to think it's the 2024 class, not the 2023 class. So, Jerry, what are your thoughts on the linebackers for the 2024 class? I know you saw a great one earlier today. I was at the number one linebacker on the boards high school today, Oak Ridge for athletic period. And, I mean, Bobby, I sent you photos. I'm sure you saw the videos I posted on Twitter, but, Justin Williams is a highly, highly explosive and sudden player. 6'2 and probably a quarter, closing in on 210. Um, you know, the, the head coach there was at the Woodlands for 31 years, said athletically in terms of explosiveness and suddenness, probably the most he's ever coached. And that includes the Iron Brothers, Larry Izzo, Travis Lightco. There's some really talented kids came through the Woodlands and Connor McCullough when Coach Schmidt was there. So, um, he said Justin's a different level of athlete explosiveness. Um, look, he's still an Oregon lean. I talked to him today. I'll have more on Inside Texas. But he was he had cut a commitment video to Oregon during the season. He backed off of that. He'd been to Texas. He's been to Texas twice since then. He was at the January 21st junior day. Um, and Texas is doing their best. I think he's still enamored with Oregon. What I think could help Texas is this recruitment will play out longer than expected because Justin wants to go take a look at Alabama now. He got offered by Alabama, Ohio State. I'm sure he'll go take a visit to Texas A&M at some point, maybe Oklahoma as well. So that offer list has expanded, and that slowed down his process, which I think is good for Texas. But he's the guy. He's the top guy on the board. Um, he reminds me of Keenan Robinson in a lot of ways, maybe frame, just that range, just that – athleticism I think Justin's a little more explosive player but then look his Bobby his teammate the 2024 D lineman that Texas offered was unbelievably impressive today we can get into that but I think Texas number is one at linebacker 
that'll probably stretch to two. That's kind of what defensive line started at last year. Bo Davis had one number to work with, and then that number stretched to two or three if it was the right guys. I think linebacker's probably the same. Starting at one, see if it stretches to two. And a lot of that will depend on what Anthony Hill, Leona LaFowle, and then when Burrell comes in in August, what those guys look like. I was going to say, anybody else out there at linebacker that Texas has offered in-state that you like in particular? You know, um, I'll I, I need to think on that a little bit more. Um, not off the top of my head necessarily. I mean, Justin Williams in a class by himself uh, to me. I mean, I, I just think he's going to end up being absolutely one of the top four, five linebackers in the country in this class. So I think that makes him different. Um than others, you know, Texas has offered two two backers out in California. Peyton Pierce, more of the downhill inside backer at Lovejoy, is a guy who was at the January twenty first Junior Day. Um, he's a guy in state. I don't think he's on Justin Williams' level of athlete. So I think that's really kind of what we're working with here at linebacker right now. Is Justin Williams is a clear number one, and he's a guy you can move around within your scheme. Got it. Um, all right. I uh, want to say thanks uh, to Energy Texas. Energy Texas is for Texans by Texans. When Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and talking to people in Texas, not overseas, uh, but Texans. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's energytexas.com. Give them a shout uh, if you have any energy needs. Um, Jerry, let's uh, let's keep going with these questions. I'm talking to Jerry Hamilton of Inside Texas. I'm Bobby Burton. We're this is a Longhorn live stream Tuesday night show. Uh, got a little bit uh, going on here. We talked about the Warren Roberson uh, commitment. Now we're going to talk about some other questions you guys uh, might have, and I'm just going to give it to them straight from Fabian. Do y'all think we have enough depth on the D line heading into next season as we currently stand? Jerry, I'm going to start on this one personally. Uh, I feel like Texas yep. could actually – it looks like there, there's depth, but I worry about the depth. Uh, one or two injuries there, and all of a sudden you're really bare uh, because Anthony Bryant was the only real interior guy they took last year. Sadir Mitchell's really the only interior guy they took this year. Um, and Jeray Bledsoe's not getting bigger. Chris Ross not getting bigger, bigger so they're going to have to stay outside, right? So I think Byron Murphy, Tyvondre Sweat, Alfred Collins, um, you know, uh, Sadir Mitchell, those guys, uh, Vernon Broughton's back. That, that's, that's a decent rotation. But I'm telling you, after that, you start to get really young and maybe not as good as you want to be. And so I would say they're probably one light there uh, to where they really, really need to be. That's still, it may, it may be the best in the conference, to grant right. you. But it's not Alabama Georgia level. I guess no, no. it's uh, maybe top half of the SEC. Let's be real, as far as NFL prospects. Um, right. But yeah, they got five guys. Add Aaron Bryan and six. I mean, so you head into the spring looking great. Now, here's the thing for me with the D line. Alfred Collins is as talented as probably any player Texas has. They need him to be that player this year. I mean, that's really what Texas. I mean. Of all the guys that I've just expected more out of, just because I know what they have, he's been the guy for me on defense, not even close. Um, they need him to have his best season next year. If he has his best season next year, Texas is really good on the defensive line, on the interior, I believe. Now, 
I think Bledsoe's so key in the spring because I put him in the D-line category in that he's not playing on the interior defensive line, obviously, but he still can have an impact on the defensive line against the run. So his spring is big for me too. So he needs to come, he needs to come through for Texas and add another element to the run stopping game and maybe some just powerful pass rush. Uh, but really, Alfred Collins, I think you know what you're going to get out of Sweat. I think you know what you're going to get out of Murphy. I think you know what you're going to get out of Broden. So it really comes how much weight can Aaron Bryant gain? And then what is Alfred Collins going to do and how much of an impact is Sadir Mitchell going to have? I, I We trust Nathan O'Neal. Sadir's in the spring. He's going to have an impact against the run. It's going to take time to develop as a pass rusher. Texas needs Alfred Collins to be a disruptor next year for me, much more consistently than he's been. Thanks, Fabian, for your question. Going next to King Engine. Uh, King Engine asks, with Texas schedule released, is it more likely that Texas runs the table or regresses from last year's record? I don't think they're going to regress, but I think regressing is more likely than running the table, um, if that makes sense. Because I, I, you know, predicting Texas to win 12 or 13 games right now in a row and running the table, I don't see, I, I just don't see that right now. E- even if they're, you know, even if they're 25% better than they were a year ago, they're not going to run the table. Um, and I think it's possible they're 5% worse than they were a year ago. But you lose Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, you're losing something. Um, but I, I definitely think they're most likely going to improve. I just don't know about running the table. Jerry, what do you think? Yeah, I think 10, 10 wins is is the goal um, you start with with this team. You got eight in the regular season last year, um, made it through the, the the quarterback injury. You know, the thing that Texas – where te- what Texas couldn't have handled this year was offensive line injuries. You don't – and they got lucky because that all five guys started every game, and that's just rare. This next season, that group's a year older, and you don't want to say injuries are going to happen, but what are the chances it's going to be 100% healthy two years in a row? But Texas is going to be in a better position to handle some injury issues next year on the offensive line. So I think that depth Texas is is, is, start, is going to show this year that they've recruited in these last two classes. I think Texas' goal should be 10 wins. Do I think Texas is going to run the table? I don't. Um I mean, look, just look at how many teams actually run the table. I mean, that, that's your answer. Uh, things have to go really, really well for that to happen. You have to stay really healthy. Um, I mean, you could argue that Georgia's won two national titles in a row because Alabama had wide receiver injuries at the end of uh, the 2021 season. That's how difficult it is to have healthy seasons and, and run the table. So I think the number's 10 um, that, that Texas starts at next year. and We'll see which way it goes. I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to win more games. Is it going to be nine? 10, maybe 11. Uh, I think that's going to all depend on how the freshman class meshes into their roles, how these all the talented freshman class who kind of shows up this spring in August is a much improved player from their freshman year. And then what kind of leadership uh, does Quinn Ewers take and what kind of step does he take from a leadership standpoint and on the field? If Texas gets all those things together, then I think 10 or 11 wins is a good goal. All right. I want to say thank you now to one of our sponsors. Uh, Jerry, thanks. Stay with us for 30 seconds. Got a note from our sponsor, MyBookie. Go ahead, Matt. want to take a minute to say thank you to one of our sponsors this week, uh, talking about the big game uh, itself, the Super Bowl. Uh, Coming in uh, to sponsor on Texas football is MyBookie. You asked for it and they listened. 
MyBookie designed a unique deposit bonus that lets you cash in and cash out quick. This is a unique deposit bonus for sports bettors who want to focus on what to bet and not a payout sweat. Make your first deposit today with promo code TEXASFB. Wager your deposit amount once, and you're eligible to cash out. If you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money, bet on the big game this weekend with MyBookie. Pre-game, live lines, and Super Bowl props. Bet everything from the opening coin toss to the length of the national anthem. I know there's some crazy people out there that like to do that kind of stuff. To the color of the Gatorade uh, that is dumped on the winning coach. I can't tell you exactly who's going to win the Super Bowl, but I can tell you where you should be placing your bets. My bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. For the Super Bowl, should be interesting. Chiefs or the Eagles, you never know who's going to win it, but there's a chance for you to win uh, as well. Uh, that's it for mybookie.com. All right, Jerry, I have a question that's coming straight out of that advertisement. And this relates somewhat to what you just talked about with Alfred Collins. And I think it's a fair question uh, from Joel McWatters. Why hasn't Collins developed in your mind the way that perhaps he should? I think he's got to want it. I think he's got to be, you know, he's got to take the offseason very serious. He's got to want to be a great player. Um, you know, interesting thing, when you we, we kind of look back at ESPN and Under Armour game, on some a lot of those guys that didn't make it right that were ranked highly didn't make it and once you get outside of injury right which is very impactful uh, or an off the field issue you know when you go back and you talk to people around college coaches high school coaches around some of those players you know the main thing we got back was he didn't want it and I'm not saying Alfred doesn't want it uh, I think this is his year to prove he wants it though I mean, look, if you not take the 23 class out of it, but the Alfred Collins is the one player that Nick Saban fought hard for that's played for Texas here in the last couple of years defensively. I mean, he they fought hard for him. Oklahoma fought hard for him. Uh, this is the year that Alfred really needs to show. I think sometimes it's just that simple. You got to show you're that guy. Uh, and I'm not sitting here questioning Alfred's heart. We can't do that. We're not in position to do that. But I do know this. He has not played up to his talent level at Texas, but maybe for a couple of games his freshman year. That's just the reality. He hasn't. I, I think it was – I'm going to take a little bit different tact here. I think he wants to be a defensive end, but he's growing into a defensive tackle. That's – you know what I mean by that, Jerry? Yeah. He he, he thinks that maybe he's a def, or He maybe thought that he was going to be 235, 245 pounds like he was as a senior in high school, junior in high school, right? because he's going to stay stay lean and all this, and all of a sudden he starts eating three squares a day, and he's only playing one sport, not three, and he starts putting on, you know, weight like a, like a dude is supposed to that goes into college, and all of a sudden he's a three technique, not a five or a seven. Yeah, and, and there's some truth in that, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I think that's part of it, and so that's why, especially his freshman to sophomore year where we expected a big jump, we didn't see one. I don't think he took the weight room necessarily and the change going to the interior full time as hard as he maybe needed to. He looked like he came on at the end of last year, though, after he had gotten things going 
uh, near the end. All right. Uh, thanks, Joel, for that question. I thought it was revealing uh, what both Jerry and I thought. Uh, this is from Justin Yarbrough uh, with a super chat. Thank you, Justin. And, and for those of you guys that do this, for Jerry and I. Uh, when do camps kick off for the 2024 class? And how hard is it for the inside D-line guys to gain good weight? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Um, I don't think it's that hard. Look, I, uh, I think it's harder to drop weight than it is gain weight. I, I think if you come in... So, like a, what impressed me about Sadir Mitchell is he's been dedicated to that for a while. He was 360 pounds at one point. He was down to 335-ish when he reported to Texas. Uh, I think the harder thing is, is dropping weight and having good weight on your frame. Um, the large humans, that's the issue they have. It's not gaining weight. Now, I think Texas needs more large humans on the defensive line. Uh, but look, it goes kind of what Bobby said uh, about, you know, Bledsoe, Chris Ross. I think maybe some of those guys are going through a little bit of that right now. If you want to, if you really want to play on the interior, you have to do everything you can in the weight room, stack the weight on. I don't think it's hard. I can tell you, Chris Ross can weigh 285, 290. Dre Bledsoe, when I first saw him, weighed 270. I mean, it's not hard for those guys. It might take some time to get to that 285, 290, 300 range. Uh, Chris Ross, I'm not sure he'd be as effective at 300 as he would be 285. Uh, but I don't think that's a difficult thing. I think the harder thing is when you come in with a lot of weight, cutting that weight and reshaping your body, I think it's a much tougher climb. Jerry, what about the camps for the 2024 class? There's all kinds of camps out there, whether it's Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, uh, some of the, the, the sites have camps. Yeah. Uh, then you have the, the universities generally don't have their camps until mm-hmm. summertime. Yeah. yeah the, uh, camps are under armor camps are actually starting this weekend. That's in Atlanta and that will be an absolutely loaded camp. Georgia is loaded in 24 and 25 in that state. Now, I mean, big time. Uh, so that's the first under armor camp. I believe Dallas, the Texas one is March 11th, uh, will be the date on that. So for under armor, when they stop through Texas, they'll have a, They'll also have in mid-February, they'll have a um, big man camp, an offensive-defensive line camp, but that's not really the top, top guys. Those guys will be at the Under Armour camp March 11th. I believe that's at Duncanville High this year. Uh, So those are starting up this week. (coughs) You'll start to see a lot of those seven-on-sevens have already started up, Uh, but the combine season gets going this weekend in Atlanta. Got it. All right, so next question, and this is a – thanks, Justin, again for that super chat. Uh, This one is uh, for you and I both. Uh, really, and and that's this question: Will this off year's offense be better than last year's? And I even losing Bijan and Roshan, uh, I think I think it will be overall because you're going to see a, a different style of offense, maybe yeah. because you're going to have more reliability up front. I think from your offensive line, and that'll uh, more familiarity too with your quarterback. Uh, and what he can and can't do and, and what things look like. Um, 
I tell you what's interesting. Uh, there is a piece out, in, and I read this on Inside Texas today on the message boards. Uh, Bill Conley does a returning production uh, stat chart uh, that comes up uh, every year about you know what team is bringing back what players and the production-wise. Texas, of all the teams in college football, ranks third in returning production. That's I mean, I don't care. That's pretty strong, especially when you're talking about losing or having lost um, Roshan and Bijan and even Hudson Card, who started a couple games. Texas ranks third in the nation of guys coming back um, on offense. On defense, it's a little bit different. Matt, can you put that up for us real quick? If people will see this here. Overall, Texas ranks third on offense in the country. 19th overall, if you combine both offense and defense, uh, at 68 on defense. But, you know, does that really include Jalen Catalan returning as well as uh, uh, the uh, Jalen Catalan coming in as well as Gavin Holmes coming in via the portal? Yeah, I mean, look offensively, I think Texas is going to be more multiple. And I think you're always tougher to defend when you can be more multiple. You put more pressure on a defensive coordinator in preparation. Um, and then you have the ability, if you can spread it out a little bit more and not be so reliant on the jumbo sets or whatever you want to call them as far as personnel, um, you're tougher to defend. You can go faster. You can play with more tempo at times. I think that's what's going to make Texas better, along with being a second-year player quarterback, second-year player left tackle, second-year player in Cole Hudson. I mean, there's a lot of second-year guys and even the backup offensive line um, but it's also third year in the scheme for an Xavier Worthy, right? You're getting to that point. Jatavion Sanders, third year. Gunnar Helm, third year. So you have a mix of experience and really talented players going into their second year. But I think the wide receiver room, having more talent is going to help. But they got to stay healthy. I mean, the Nair injury was so big for this team last year. I, I don't – the effect that it had on the offense, the way Sark attacked defenses – uh, Quinn Ewers, I think it had a big effect. That's what happens when you lose a guy that was probably a draft pick at wide receiver. There's very few schools that can just plug in another draft pick. Um, but I think that wide receiver, the expanded room, A.D. Mitchell's got big game experience and big playmaking in those games. Um, you know, Xavier Worthy, Whittington, you know, you bring in the freshman behind him, DeAndre Moore, Jonte Cook, your second-year guys. Um, I just think it all adds up to Texas being a better offensive team, but they're going to be a different offensive team. And look, second year with the kicker, too. I mean, there's a lot of experience coming back on this team and experience in the right places. Here, here's the interesting part. Look at Wyoming. Texas plays Wyoming third game of the year. Wyoming may be the, one of, is the number four overall ranked returning team of, of production. Now – if you just if you just look at that and you start thinking Big Twelve, we talked about it last Friday with Ian. I mean, Kansas. If you're just looking at that, Kansas moves up a notch. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, thanks, Matt, for our producer for putting that up for us uh, as well. Uh, going to Scooter Lannister, we're taking your questions uh, now here on uh, the Longhorn live stream. Uh, myself, Bobby Burton, along with Jerry Hamilton. Uh, question comes in for Scooter: As the bonds to the Southern region increase over the next two to five years. Do you see Sar Sarkeesian spending as much time and focus in California as he is now? I would only question how much is he really spending out there? He's only signing one or maybe two guys a year out West. Your thoughts, Jerry? 
Yeah, I think that w- what Sarkeesian's doing in recruiting is is the way it's going to be the whole Sarkeesian era. Um, number one focus is in-state. You have to win enough of those battles, but they have to be the right guys. You don't just take plan Bs. I think that days, look, and I was, I was on board with this for many years. You know, you got to recruit your state. You got to recruit your state. If you sign 25 guys, 19 need to be from Texas. Well, uh, the state's changed. Kids have moved in. Not as many kids are growing up in Houston and Dallas with a Longhorn jersey or Aggie jerseys on. It's just not happening. Things are different. Uh, same thing in, in that Atlanta area. Everybody expected every kid to stay and go to Georgia. Well, these kids aren't from Atlanta. They didn't grow up with Georgia jerseys on. We're at a different time now. Uh, so I'm off. They have to sign 75% from in-state. I don't I don't worry about the high school coaches, what they think anymore. We'll keep your kids in-state then. How about that? You've had a long time to keep the kids in-state. So I don't want to hear – and look, my father was a coach. I'm not saying anything negative about coaches. But look, hey, these kids are leaving the state at a high rate, at the highest rate they have in years. So it, there shouldn't be pressure to keep kids in-state when your own kids aren't staying in-state. That's the way I look at it. So I think Texas is going to recruit the best players they can, and that's going to lead – them from Texas to Florida, um, up into the Carolinas a little bit as time goes on, but really Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, and then dabble in Arizona and California. I think it's a great plan to have the most talented roster Texas can have. I think California, state of California may not have the depth of talent it once did, but the top tier guys are still really, really good. And Arizona, there's not a lot of them, but if you can pull one or two of those guys out every two years, they're really talented guys that get drafted. So I think Texas has a great plan right now, and I don't expect it to change moving forward. I don't see why it needs to uh, at this point. I think what Texas is doing, they've signed a top five class two years in a row, five and three. What they're doing is working. Yeah, I I think I I, I agree with that. I think that they're going to spot recruit California. Yeah. That's the best way I can put it. Spot recruit Arizona. Spot yeah. recruit Colorado, maybe, or you know, one of that's what you that's what you have to do. But the real uh crooks of the player is going to come from pe- Texas going east yeah. from here on, given that that's your conference. Now, now, where things exactly where things change, here's where things change in the current recruiting geography for Texas. If Brian Kelly gets it really gets it going at LSU, then it gets tougher to get Derek Williams, right. Um, that's where things change a little bit. If the state of Florida got its act together a little bit, you know, then it becomes tougher. You know, look, here's the reality. If Florida State was 12 and one the last three or four years and in the pit in the mix for the college football playoff, I'm not sure Cedric Baxter is at Texas. He was committed to Florida State, right? But Florida State's program was very similar to Texas program. It was kind of flailing away. And that opened the door. Yeah, that opened the door for Cedric Baxter to leave the state. So if you're a Texas fan, you don't want those schools in Florida to really get it going. Um, you don't want Brian right, Kelly And that's to- just like they don't want Texas to get it going. That's right. Either. That's exactly <laughs> it works thing. both ways. Hey, the people that recruit Texas love to see A&M struggle this year now. You think Notre Dame, Ohio State, USC. I mean, USC is going to recruit Texas harder than any other program that's outside the state of Texas, uh, taking Oklahoma off that plate. I mean, Lincoln Riley, I mean, he spent, they spend more time in, in in Texas than anywhere else outside of California, and that's going to be the way it is. So that's the only thing that could change things up for Texas a little bit. Or if Texas put a little more effort in the Missouri, St. Louis area, I think they might could find some success there. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Scooter, for that question. Going on to Jarrett Johnson. 
Uh, Jerry, where does Brennan Thompson need to develop in the spring and summer? Well, he's already in, they're in workouts right now, and he is uh, going to run track this spring, but he's also going to be doing, uh, 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 going through spring practice for football. So it's not like he's not doing that. You know, from, from having watched a couple of practices, uh, Brennan needs to get a little stronger. Uh, he is at 150 pounds, 160 pounds dripping wet. I mean, he is, he is not a big guy. At the same time, he has elite acceleration, and he's pretty. He's a pretty good. Got pretty good hands. Does not have great hands though. Has pretty good hands. So you know where I think he needs to develop is he needs to become more reliable when the ball's in the air to go out and catch it. Um, it he's got to be a guy that catches ninety five percent of his passes, not eighty, uh, in practice in particular. Uh, Jerry, you agree with that? Yeah, and and look, here's the thing about Brennan. I think it's a, spring is huge for him. Because coming from Spearman, what he never did is ran an 18-yard comeback and had a ball sailing at him with an NFL arm. That was a new experience for him. So that's the part of developmental process for him, catching a lot of footballs. Everybody talks about the jugs machine. Hey, if that's what if that's what he has to do, that's what he has to do. But that there takes it takes a little something else to come out of a break, then get your arms extending your hands up. When you're not accustomed to catching a football that's coming at you with an NFL arm, he's never done that. So that was a new experience for him while learning the nuances of a wide receiver position. So he actually had a really big transition to make. But to Bobby's point, he's got to get strong enough to be a player at this level to use his speed to maximize the speed. All right, going to Tony Stavens. Uh, <laughs> what is our biggest recruiting priority in 2024? Well, if you just look at the last two classes, how needs have been addressed, I mean, I think Texas has some quality players on the edge. I think they have some really good pieces. Still need a, a dynamic pass rush guy, but those are the hardest guys to find. That in a defensive lineman who is not only a run stopper, but also a pass rusher. Those are the two hardest things to me to get at that elite level in college football. There's a reason Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State have been where they are. Just look at the NFL drafts. Look at the guys they've had drafted. It's really obvious. Um, they've won with different style of quarterbacks. They've won with bus drivers. What they haven't won with, with is a bus driver D-line. And that's really it for me, Bobby. I mean, look, all, you want to keep stacking the talent at all positions. But if there's a dynamic edge player and there's a dynamic combo D-lineman, it's not just a run stopper, but a run stopper and a pass rusher. If you can get those two in this class, then I don't know. There's not a lot more you can ask for at this point. I I, I could not agree more. I think it's got to be along the D line. Um, and I'll say this: I mean, there's guys out there too, like Colin Simmons, that could be that guy, right? I, I don't. I, I'd hesitate to put him in that category. But you know, my my opinion on that is I look at guys like Joe Osai and Malcolm Brown. Those are the type of guys you're talking about, really. Yeah. The guys that are going to earn Sunday money, not and not be a fifth or sixth or seventh round pick, yep. but be a star in a starter in the NFL for a period of years. Um, and so I, I feel it. I, that's where I think the next step is for Texas. Uh, and that's why I do think that A&M is so far ahead in some ways of Texas being ready for the SEC is because they actually, of all the positions they have, they have defensive line, you know, going crazy right now. Uh, all right. 
Yeah. This one for you, Jerry, uh, from that tense. Who do you, you mentioned this name earlier. So I want to rebring this question up actually uh, as part of this. Uh, who do you compare the Waco cornerback Kobe Black to Waco Connolly? You know, I haven't put a ton of thought into that. I would have to look at it. A lot of that stuff pops into my head pretty quick because we've been doing this so long. But that one, I don't, I don't know. I don't have anybody necessarily. Maybe Cedric Griffin of uh, somebody that played at Texas. Wow, wow, maybe he's that long, that long and lanky. Maybe I think he's a little thicker kid than that, though. I'm not sure he's he's an inch shorter than Cedric Griffin was. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you one that I, Bobby, it's at corner and it's a kid Texas recently offered. I'm actually going to write about this in the next couple of days. There's a kid, PJ Woodland, out of Oak Grove and Hattiesburg, which is a loaded program right now. And Texas, I'd heard Texas was going to offer this kid because I knew Texas had been through looking at the D lineman in that state. Um, kid named PJ Woodland. He reminds me of Aaron Ross, the way he moves, just the way he moves on tape. You know what I'm talking about, Bobby, where you just see it and you're like, hmm, I've seen that before. So I'm not sure Kobe Black's there where something somebody instantly popped into my head. Um, uh, let me think about that. Let me watch a little, some other past guys. A lot of times what I do is I'll watch a Kobe black. Then if he reminds me of somebody, I'll pull up the old YouTube and kind of watch the, a couple of guys and see who he most reminds me of. But, uh, Cedric Griffin early on, but I don't think he's that taller. He's a little more compact. He's more got a Warren Roberson build in time. Got it. All right. Uh, from Brandy Jones, how much is going to the sec and NIL help Texas recruit? I'm thinking a lot, especially in national recruiting. A lot. I don't know what else to say. I mean. Yeah. No, I, I, mean, I think both have mattered. I, yeah. I think that both. Look, um, I do not think the SEC is the be-all, end-all. I want to be clear about that. Is it a factor? Yes. Is it a positive factor? Yes. Is the Big 12 a hindrance? Yes. Yes. So adding those two things together, it's actually a double whammy, right? You get yeah, not only so you out of the Big 12, you're into the, the bigger conference and the better. Let's conference. talk through that because I, I agree. Like the SEC from a football Saturday standpoint is not the end-all be-all. In the mind of a 13 to 16-year-old kid, I do think it is. Well, for, if, they're, if, they're from, if they're from Texas, or Louisiana, well, Alabama, yeah, but I mean, not, not necessarily if they're from Ohio or Michigan, right? Or California, even. I mean, it, maybe not Ohio, but here's the thing: all these kids have grown up seeing one thing: the SEC dominate in the college football playoff, save Ohio State and Clemson. Which Clemson's damn near an SEC school. It's all SEC. It reached Southeast region kids, but they've seen the SEC win the titles, win the awards, by far get the most draft picks every year. So these kids, from when they're ten. Nine, eight, nine, ten to seventeen. Right now, that's what they grown up, grow up watching and knowing. That's what's been in front of them. So that conference, I, I could just tell you from talking to kids, it is an end all be all for many of the kids. Like Colin Simmons is playing in the SEC. He can talk TCU and all these other visits. That dude signing with an SEC school unless something crazy happens. That's where the kids are at in in this argument. I think for the fans. And me and you, we watched the SEC, great conference, no doubt. You can tell it's the most talented conference. Top-heavy as far as the football goes, yeah. But in a kid's mind, I do think it's as close to end-all, be-all as anything I've seen in recruiting. Got it. All right, we've got about five or six more questions I want to get to. Uh, we're closing out around 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, 
it is uh, about five minutes away from that. Uh, I want to say thank you to Energy Texas. Energy Texas is by Texans for Texans. Uh, when Energy Texas becomes your energy provider, you're dealing with and calling people in the state of Texas, not back east, not overseas, in Texas. We're proud to be from the greatest state in the union and prouder still to be fighting for the little guy against big power. That's www.energytexas.com. Uh, we appreciate their sponsorship of the Longhorn live stream on Tuesday nights. All right, uh, Jerry, we're, we're continuing to go here. Uh, hey, Tommy, to- I want to ask something. Hey, can I yeah. say something real quick? I yeah. should have brought it. If you look at the on three consensus for the 2023 class, 23 of the 32 five stars signed with SEC schools, counting Texas and Oklahoma, 23 of 32. And Deuce Robinson's probably going to Georgia or Texas. So 24 guys out of the 32 five stars and on three consensus are, are going to play in the SEC. That's a massive number. That When you combine Texas and Oklahoma, and, and the number kind of stays the same the farther you get down the list into the top 50, top 75. So, man, it's going it, to the, – the most talented conference is only going to get more talented with the kids. That's a bit – that's a big number. I, I'm, I'm doing the, the number on my imaginary pencil there, and that's 75%. Yeah, that's a big number. I mean – Mm, 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 mm. And and, and, and the, the crazy thing about that, Bobby, is okay. So twenty four of the thirty two. Let's say so. Then you have Clemson adding a five star, Miami adding a five star um, in there. Florida Clemson State getting one. So that number of kids staying in the southeast region is extremely high right now. Extremely high. California had two. USC and UCLA both had one. And Dante Moore came from Michigan to California. So um, that number is getting bigger. All right. Over and under, from this is from Ryan Owen, over under number of players that transfer out of Texas after spring ball. I've got a number, Jerry. Let's, yep. this is, a, first of all, we're going to be clear. We're not making a, a prediction. Uh, this is more of a just back of the envelope. What are we thinking here? Jerry, you go with your number and I'll say mine. Uh, I'll set the number at four and a half. We'll say so. I'll, I'll go with five. I was debating whether to go four or five. I was going to take the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about the number. I mean, look, it is the way of life now in college football. It's coming. We don't know who it is. Right. Uh, the coaches may not know who it is. The kids don't know necessarily who it is either. Uh, but it is just the new real world um, that, that we're dealing with. Uh, good question here. From BGS, who, in your op- opinion, is the best player on the Longhorns? Okay, are we talking football player, NFL prospect? I, I say we say football player on the Longhorns. Uh, I have a hard time going against Jalen Ford. I have a hard time going against Kelvin Banks. Yeah, I think Banks is a big timer. I think Jatavion Sanders, his position is probably the three guys. Jatavion needs to block better. Yeah. Yeah. So who is the best player? That's a good question. If you really get down and think about it, I mean, is it eventually Quinn Ewers? I mean, last year we know it was Bijan. Right. But we don't know who that is this year. It's interesting. Well, I'll, tell you, hey, I'll tell you what. If he's healthy, Jalen Catalan's going to be a top five in the program, if not top three. That, that, that dude's a really dang good player when he's healthy. But I, I, 
I think I, I like our, both of our picks. We'll see if Catalan has a healthy year. I think he vaults the three. Interesting. All right. Um, all right. Another question. This one from King Me. Uh, what's one injury Texas can't afford to have in 2023? It may be that it may be that safety spot. It may be Jalen Catalan. Well, I'm going with you what you said. I'm going left tackle because you, you very rarely get to have a franchise left tackle. You cannot replace those guys through injury. You're going to have a big drop off. You don't have two franchise left tackles in a college program. You don't even have two on an NFL roster. So that's the one for me. All right. That, that's fair. I, I would, man, I would, I would say if I had to say it, I would probably say Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Nobody else is ready. I mean, Arch isn't ready. Right. I mean, it's just physically not ready yet, in my opinion, probably. Um, from another one from King Me, which DE defensive end do you see becoming Brian Arakpo, a three-star to a first-round pick? I actually made Brian Arakpo a four-star, thank you very much, when uh-huh. I was managing the rivals' rankings back in the day. Um, uh, after seeing him, and I think in the state quarterfinals at Rice Stadium. Uh, Jerry, what are your thoughts on the defensive end? Is it, is it Jure Bledsoe, in your opinion, that has the highest upside of those guys, or who is it? Yeah, I think Bledsoe has uh, probably the highest NFL upside of all those guys. He just fits the NFL game, fits the NFL frame. Uh, so he'd probably be that guy for me. Um, and as far as guys that came in that were farther, the farthest from their ceiling, he's definitely the guy. There's no question about it. Gotcha. Hey, I think we're running up against it. This is one last question before you guys can go watch the State of the Union and hear the Republicans no, and the no, Democrats no, no, go hey, ape at each other. Um, here we go. RB in the Rock 09. Hey, Bobby, but yeah. we got to say this. We got to say this. Bledsoe can't even be in it. He was a top 150 guy in the country. Um, so if you're talking three-star to first-round pick, let's think on this while we do this last question. I'll have an answer. Okay. Uh, RB in the Rock 09. How realistic is an 11-1 season? I think they have the schedule to do so. They're beating Bama in this scenario. They definitely have a favorable schedule. Um, if they're eleven and one, they're actually going to have to play in a Big Twelve championship, so they'll they'll be thirteen games in. Uh, but uh, Jerry, your thoughts overall? Yeah, I think uh, you said ten earlier. I said ten. If you beat Bama, it goes to eleven to me. I mean, that's the reality. Um, and as high on Bama as I was before last season, I'm not this season. That doesn't mean Nick Saban's team's not going to be ranked in the top five. That doesn't mean they're not going to be really talented, especially on defense. I don't see the Bama without Bryce Young, some of the guys they're losing that we're, we're accustomed to seeing. I just don't. I think the schedule really favors Texas this year. Hey, let me ask you this. The hiring of Tommy Reese at Alabama. Okay, but you know what type of quarterback he likes. Yeah. Doesn't that favor a guy like Jalen Milrow heavily? I think Ty Simpson's going to be the guy. I mean, I think, Ty, I think the reports out of Bama are pretty favorable for him being the guy at the okay. end of the day. Um, I think what'll be interesting for Nick's program is who does the quarterback evaluations. I'm not sure Reese has a great track record there. I think that's going to be something to watch um, for Bama. Uh, as far as I, by three-star player, <clears throat> they could end up being a first-round pick. Actually, that could come from this class, the 23 class. You got some candidates in there. Some of the offensive linemen who just have a very – an Andre Kojo who's just turned 17 – who can sit and develop 
and if he's patient and just works with Kyle Flood and the strength program, then I'm not saying he's be a first round pick, but you're talking about these guys that kind of come out of nowhere. Billy Walton, a guy that's, you know, an under the radar guy who's going to be a late developer physically. He just became a more physical player this year. I think he, that the question was talking about more like guys like that. Um, you know, so we'll have to see who it is, but I think it could come out of this class. Gotcha. All right. That's going to be all for tonight. We left some good questions on the, on the, uh, on the table there. I'm sorry about that. Matt Schroeder had a good one. Uh, so did John Rios. Uh, we'll get it going again on Friday. Jerry and I are back at uh, one o'clock central uh, for another live stream. Uh, we do two live streams a week. Uh, thank you very much to our uh, producer, Matt Hutchison, as well as our sponsor, Energy Texas and my bookie uh, are our sponsors there. Uh, for Jerry Hamilton of Inside Texas, I'm Bobby Burton, and thanks for watching. Y'all have a good one.